welcome to Woke Isn't Enough, a podcast created by two women of color who think that it's time to move collectively beyond checking the boxes when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'm Jess Aiden Lee, and I'm here with my colleague, Fiona Oliphant, and we are the founders of Healing Equity United. Hey, Jess, how you doing? Good, how are you? Fine, thank you. Well, no, not fine, but as fine as we're going to be in these days, right? That's right. You know, sometimes when white people ask us people of color how we're doing or say that, oh, you sound really busy or you sound like you're down. I'm like, where have you been? <laughs> Are you really asking a, a person of color that question? Well, what I've taken to doing is asking, do you want the long version and more accurate version? Or would you like the shorter, more superficial version. And what do they usually choose? Well, given that context, they usually say the longer version. (laughs) That's actually great because you know what we're talking about today, Fiona? We're talking about performative allyship. (laughs) And that is a great example of performative allyship. So why don't you tell our listeners what performative allyship is? Well, I'm not going to find the technical definition, but performative allyship is acting in what, in a way that you believe you are an ally, but doesn't have any substantive impact, right? So a lot of people ask us, do you mean performative in the sense of it's fake, it's not real, um, People are trying to be misleading in their attempts of allyship. And we often say, no, that isn't what is meant when we use the phrase performative allyship. What we mean instead is that the act that the person is taking on or doing, the act itself has little to no impact, right? So the one example that is a shining light in uh, performative allyship is the safety pin, right? So yes, while there may have been some people who were comforted by seeing someone else that they could visually identify as an ally because they wore that safety pin, really that act of wearing a safety pin didn't disrupt systems of oppression, didn't disrupt um, systemic racism, didn't change anything. But it gave the person wearing the safety pin a pat on the back for wearing a safety pin. It's like, yay, you did it. That's great. But what else? You want to add anything to my definition of performative allyship? So, you know, I, I have a question. I'm going to push back a little bit because cause I can imagine that people want to do something and not all of us are trained to be community activists and organizers. And, and so by wearing the safety pin, some people were saying, well, if, if I wear the safety pin, then that means that I am an ally of yours and you may speak to me about whatever it is that you want to talk about, because I will be here to support you. And so what is your response to someone like that? That's a good start. Uh, That you can, somebody else can identify you visually as 
you know, a person, a trusted person that they could come to. That's a great start. But I would ask again, what does it do to disrupt systemic racism? What does it do to upset the status quo? You want to answer me? What does it do? (laughs) I'm not really sure. That's why I don't wear safety pins. So there are other examples of performative allyship. I don't know if you've seen them, but, you know, these pictures of young folks stopping, jumping out of a car, asking someone else to take a picture of them as they help to clean up after the protesting slash rioting. I know that they're two separate incidents by two separate groups of people, but, you know, folks jumping out of their cars to take pictures of them cleaning up, but not really cleaning up and then posting it on social media. See, I did a great job. I'm an ally. That, I think, performative allyship. It's not even, well, it really is performative because that's just acting. It's not even pretending to want to make a difference. You know, speaking of shining lights in the sky, there was Uh a beautiful act of performative allyship out here in California. I think it's, I want to say it started in Los Angeles. They're trying to start this movement where at 9 p.m. at night, people would go out and stand on their doorsteps and shine a flashlight in the sky for eight minutes and 46 seconds to understand what it was like for George Floyd. And, you know, I, they, some, some people in my community were like, well, Jessica, are you going to join us and shine? A, I'm like, I'm not shining no oh light in the goodness. sky with a bunch of white people on my street. Like, that's not happening. Because you know what I was doing at 9 p.m.? I was planning a protest. So I am not going to leave actual co-conspiratorship to do performative allyship. But I will have to, to, to add that, you know, for some people, especially some, some white people who were really just trying to understand what's going on with all of these protests and Black Lives Matter, it did something for them emotionally. Some people started crying. Some people really got into the moment. And, and so I, I think that that is part of the process, right, of, of working and being introspective and, and trying to really become an ally, wouldn't, wouldn't you say? Yeah, well, the whole thing is a journey, right? And we, none of us can be a co-conspirator 100% of the time. It depends on context. It depends on risk to self. It depends on risk to others. It depends on um, the cost-benefit analysis that we do, right? Um in the midst of COVID-19, there are certain things that I would love to do at other times in my life that I don't feel I can take that risk right now. Um, So I'm not going to judge people on whether performative allies or co-conspirators. What I do take issue with is if it's a surface level activity and nothing else, right? So if wearing the safety pin or shining the light in the sky is really reflective of your introspection and your 
evolution in terms of your understanding of systemic racism, that's a great first step. Terrific. I'm not going to judge you. If you want more likes on your social media, and that's why you've posted your act of allyship, then I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge you a lot, right? But I'm not asking people to be co-conspirators or accomplices in disrupting systemic racism 100% of the day. Is that what you're asking for? Well, you know, I think some people who perform acts of performative allyship think that it's actual allyship. And, and so where is the line? How do you know you've gone from performative allyship to actual allyship? I would think it's impact, right? And the impact, I was going to say that it doesn't, the magnitude of the impact doesn't matter. Um, but then I would be contradicting myself because I just said that, you know, the, the safety pin for me was just a big... <laughs> example of performative allyship. Look, yeah, I will I will go ahead and say, I don't think that the impact of the performative allyship is what's most important. I think that the intention is what's most important. And if you, if your action is conducted at the leadership by the at the leadership of groups of color or marginalized groups or groups that have been oppressed, right? So, you know, did Black people tell you that wearing a safety pin was going to help end systemic racism? No, no, they didn't. Did Black folks tell you that police reform is going to help change their lived experience. Yes, they did. Did folks, you know what I mean? So like for me, the difference is who is leading the charge and who is directing the action. I hope that makes sense. So how do you actually know on something like social media where everyone is saying like on my social media, because I'm friends with a lot of people who work on racial justice issues, a lot of people of color, saying to post a black square. Yes, I did too. But I did not use the hashtag Black Lives Matter. I used the hashtag Blackout Tuesday because I knew that that post would deflect from um, funneling folks and directing folks to actual Black Lives Matter posts. How do you know that this wasn't something that came out of the black community because you know people share and reshare and tweet and retweet and so I guess that's that's a question you know that is a good question and so at least for me I try to follow a variety of different leaders in a variety of different spaces and so the person who I followed and I can't remember who it was but the person who I followed who talked about um, Blackout Tuesday was very mindful and specific about saying only use the hashtag Blackout Tuesday. Do not use the hashtag Black Lives Matter. And I trusted that person's guidance and I understood why the person gave that guidance. Um, so I think it's important to, you know, be in touch with 
impacted communities and take their leadership and guidance. So we know that it's really important for our communities, and you and I have been talking about this a lot, that the dominant culture works to keep us divided, right? And we know that even in communities of color, even when we're trying to support other communities of color, that there are performative allyship actions that occur. Here's an example. Um, It was a statement that was issued by one of the community groups um, in the San Francisco Bay Area. I won't say which one. Um, And uh, they are really struggling to understand what is going on with the Black Lives Matters movement. It's the Asian community. And really not fully understanding why it's so important for us to talk about anti-Blackness. They watched a video of the murder of George Floyd. They completely disagree with, you know, the, the killing, like they think it's wrong and all of that. And so they issued a statement that says, as we continue to think about the murder of George Floyd, there are too many black lives taken by violence, racism, and police brutality. And the residents and businesses here are in solidarity with our community, the Asian American community, to support peaceful, powerful protests to demand a change of system. Over the weekend, our community (laughs) faced tremendous looting and devastation, and our businesses were not prepared for this type of misfortune because we've been trying to continue our businesses running during the pandemic. And we are urging other community groups to work with us in order to fight for the rights of minorities in the U.S. and to support our minority businesses to thrive in our community. Uh huh. That was a statement that was issued. Performative allyship, actual allyship, or none of the above? I would have to say none of the above, my friend. <laughs> that is pretty obvious to me. <laughs> And what makes you say that? Well, first of all, nowhere does it say Black Lives Matter or does it refer to the issue at hand. Secondly, there's a hard pivot to, and you people, no, it didn't say you people, but the you people was strongly alluded to, rioted and destroyed all of our businesses and you're responsible for our financial misfortune. So get your act together. Uh, that eeks, that does not seem to be performative allyship, performative solidarity, performative anything. It's just a statement. They said they they were thinking about George Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not going to fly. That's, you know, and I find it funny because there have been lots of examples where a a company has issued a statement and it's a non-statement, right? It is a, we abhor violence. Okay, what else? What about black folks? What about police brutality? What about, you know, systemic racism? Nothing, nothing. And then there's backlash and then their PR team talks to them, and then they issue another statement. And basically you can read between the lines, 
what we meant to say was hashtag Black Lives Matter. We don't really know what that means and we don't really know how to back that up, but our publicist told us that we should write that. So here you go. It's just, ugh. What's with the writing of statements? It's like everyone is, every one, every organization, every business is issuing a statement. What is with the issuing? Is it, I mean, I understand from our, you and I have yes. businesses. I have not issued a statement. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to issue a statement. I think your big mouth is the statement, Jessica. Um, I say the same thing about you. I'm more demurred. No, I think, you know, what I, I've personally been keeping a list of the organizations that I rely on and find important um, and their statements and what I would like to do. And I would be interested if anybody else is doing this is to line the statement up with what the organization is doing internally, right? So there are a lot of um, publishing houses that have issued statements. Some have issued very bland statements and others have issued statements of, you know, Black Lives Matter. And here's what we intend to do. We as a, a publishing agency can do better. We haven't done enough. And here's what we're doing internally and saying, you know, we're going to do A, we're going to do B, we're going to do C. And I've been collecting that kind of data just for myself, because I want to see what people are doing six weeks from now, six months from now, right? We issued a statement and then you follow it up with nothing. I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Why are you laughing, Jess? You know, so I haven't been collecting statements, but I've been collecting evidence of performative allyship for us to use in our trainings to show what performative <laughs> allyship is, Okay, right? give me some other examples of performative allyship. Okay, so here's one. So my, my little community group, so we're all volunteers, um, you know, pretty, pretty woke Asian Americans that are working on racial justice, uh, social justice issues. And we did a cleanup, a major cleanup um, in Oakland last weekend. And, you know, one of the community groups came by uh, and invited some politicians and um, they took pictures. They took pictures, just like what you were saying, like, you know, pretending to, to clean up. They took pictures. Um, it was a photo op for them. Um, and for the politicians as well. And I, so, so, you know, what I did is I took a picture of them taking a picture. Oh, you're so horrible. That <laughs> we can use it for our training to show performative allyship. So I, I do think that there is something to be said about people, you know, wanting to do something though. And, and you know, I think a lot of people are well-intentioned, really want to be in solidarity. And, you know, you and I have seen it through the webinars that we've been holding, talking about racial justice. There are definitely a lot of people, including our listeners, who want to be actual Absolutely. allies, you know, on the way yes. to becoming yes. co-conspirators. And so let's share a couple of examples of what people can do as actual allies. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to phrase it as actual allies. I'd like to put it in terms of, you know, there's a scale, there's a range of impact, right? There's a range of activities that you can do 
that can get you closer to being a co-conspirator, right? And we have to do an entire podcast on like what co-conspiratorship is and how you may show up as a co-conspirator and all that stuff. But so that you can, you know, protesting is an act of allyship, legal advocacy or legislative advocacy, like calling, I mean, because we know that systemic change is not going to happen via one route alone, right? It has to happen from the inside, the outside, the top, the bottom, from the sides. It has to be attacked in a 360 degree way in order for it to crumble. So allyship can be calling your politicians or your representatives. Allyship can be taken to the streets and marching and protesting. Allyship can be um, supporting Black-owned stores. Allyship can be uh, no longer shopping with organizations that um, have indicated that they want to keep up the Confederate flag or that they don't understand that Black lives do matter or things like that. Allyship can take a variety of different forms. But again, I think that the, the goal should be what or the impetus rather should be, what is the impact? What's the change that's going to result from this action? What do you think? I think that sometimes it's not that easy to see what your impact is. And I think a lot of us, especially those of us who are younger, are just used to seeing something happen because we're because we're so involved with our electronics and we're kind of in that culture of like um, do things quickly and and so I think sometimes like we want to see immediate results from our impact from from our actions. Don't right? get me started. Don't get me started on that, please. This is ridiculous. We live in a sound bite society. You have to do something and then see results and change 30 seconds later. That's not what I mean at all by impact. This is a marathon. This is not a sprint. Your impact may not be visible 10 seconds after you do the thing, right? So you calling the politician today and then getting hundreds and thousands of other people to call the politician today and tomorrow may not result in change next week, but it may result in change during the next election cycle, it may result in change, you know, further down the line. That's that's what I mean by impact. And so that's how, but so that's kind of obvious, right? So I think what I'm talking about is, is how do we know that certain things are working, right? So when we're talking about allyship actions, how do we know certain things are are making a difference? I have some challenges around that because none of these groups, like Black folks are not monolithic. Asian folks are not monolithic. Latinx folks, Indigenous folks, like they're not monolithic. So for some people within said group, they might say, wow, that's great. And here's the impact. Um, And for others in the group, they'll be like, no, that's ridiculous. So for example, there have been a lot of social media posts about, you know, 14 days of protesting and here's the impact. We've gotten Confederate flags banned from NASCAR. We've gotten, you know, X number of horrible Confederate 
soldiers and generals pulled down and we've got okay that's that's an impact that is some impact that's true um personally do i think that that is going to disrupt systemic um racism not necessarily what i will say is an impact is that i think more white folks are understanding how systemic racism impacts them. They are no longer willingly averting their gaze from systemic racism and that it is even a thing. So I, I think that that is an immediate impact. Well, you and I live on the coast. Yes. And you and I live in blue states. True. <laughs> that are more diverse than certain areas of our nation, right? Yes. And so for, for those of us who live in states or in cities where it's more white homogenous, I mean, the, you know what Einstein said? He said insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And so you could be out there caravanning with yourself around a town square for two weeks and, and, I think part of it is like, if people don't see anything shifting, then how do they know it's working? Well, yeah, that's a tough question because I'm not looking to folks who aren't of color to identify the shift because they didn't identify the problem. Everybody else has been arguing, shouting from the rooftops about what the problem was and white folks folks who are not of color, right? We're like, what problem? Racism, That we're post-racist. We don't see color anymore. Oh, maybe you're being overly sensitive. Or, oh, that's not really what you know was intended, right? So I'm not looking to them to identify a shift or to identify impact. I'm looking to us as folks of color to figure out whether or not we see any signs of the systemic racism crumbling in this country. Now, I think you just said something very wise here. Oh, what is that? That never happens. What? Give yourself a pat on the back that it's up to us, as the people of color, to identify whether there's been a shift. And particularly the Black community. So Jess, I don't know how you feel about this, but for me, I really feel that in the beginning, there is no, I don't want people to self-censure as they're just beginning this journey, right? Because we don't want people to feel um, that they can't do it correctly or that everything they do is wrong or whatever, but in terms of allyship and wanting to create change. Um, so for example, I was listening to Robin D'Angelo the other night and she said one of her colleagues was talking about as a white, uh, co-conspirator, as a white accomplice that she, it must be like a cat walking on a hot tin roof. You always get burned no matter where you step. And Robin said, at first I was like, yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, it's always making mistakes. 
And then the friend told her, and keep getting burned and keep stepping on the roof, stay on the roof. And so what I would really like to share with our listeners is that even though you and I are having this conversation about performative allyship versus allyship versus co-conspiratorship, that if you are just starting your journey, your anti-racism journey, um, take that step, do something that you believe is a form of allyship, hopefully at the guidance of folks of color, right? You've learned and you've done your research, but don't be afraid of making mistakes because someone like Jessica or myself would judge what you did as performative. Um, yeah, so I, I just wanted to share that. I think that it's really important that people not be afraid to go ahead and perform acts of allyship. And I think that every step is 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 going to be maybe a little bit bigger for you than you might mm-hmm. you might believe or than we might believe, right? And so, you know, going back to that flashlight in the sky, I definitely think that it was important for those of us who did the flashlight in the sky to have that introspection moment with ourselves because it made us think, it made us reflect, it made us feel. And those are emotions when you and I talk about, you know, the basic racism scale, that those are emotions that some people go through or have to go through in order to get to the next step. So it is very much a marathon. It is very much a journey that we're taking ourselves on. And and even though Fiona and I are not white, we definitely, both of us have had experiences of fragility with our other, other identities. Oh, absolutely. And so for those of you who are looking for some actions that you can take today, I think one of the really important things to do is to really understand and, and learn about the history of systemic racism here in the U.S. And to really understand what that looks like for people of color, I think that's a big part that has been missing from our education while we're growing up. And so, Fiona, what are, what are some books that you recommend that, that people start with? Oh, my goodness. So I would definitely start with Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad. I would definitely start with White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo. I would start with How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. I would start with, um, let's see. So you want to talk about race. I would also look to The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. when they call you a terrorist, that is a great one as well. Oh my goodness, I have so many books that I could recommend on this topic. You can also check out our website, healingequityunited.com. And there's also a list of resources on our website as well if you're looking to learn more about this topic. Thank you for tuning in today and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.